Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Chris Evans here. Thank you so much for downloading this week's podcast, The Best of the Breakfast Show, on Virgin Radio with Sky. Coming up, Scottish acting powerhouse Kevin Guthrie chats his brand-new football show on Netflix, The English Game. Rachel Johnson, sister of Boris, which is the title of Chapter 2 of her new book. Journalist and sister to RPM talking about that new book, Rake's Progress. And Paul Heaton tells us about his brand-new album, Manchester Calling. Plus, Dr Michael Mosley on sleep and Times science editor Tom Whipple. All of that coming up. Dapper Dave, who's first, though? It was once illegal to earn money playing football. Try explaining that one to Sergio Aguero. The new six-part miniseries The English Game drops on Netflix on Friday. And on the phone now to tell all and wallop an interview screamer top bins is the wonderful Kevin Guthrie. Can we tell Dapper Dave's working from home? I think we can, can't we? Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Chris. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Thanks so much for being here. What's going on in your world this morning? Uh, yeah, at the moment, I'm sort of just pacing around my hotel room, trying to kind of quarantine myself, um, keep things as clean as possible. And whereabouts are you in the world? Uh, I am in central London at present. <laughs> it's so funny, isn't it? Because you, you can come here, but you can't come here because it's not essential. Yeah. So that's the way it is. Uh, where, where, when will you eventually be getting back closer to people that you like and love? Hopefully at some point later on this afternoon, hopefully. Good, good for you. All right, Kev. Uh, well, congratulations on the English game. I saw episode one last night. I thought it was a movie. I mean, it's got that movie quality about it. Uh, Julian uh, Fellow's creation. Um, we're talking about uh, uh, the late 80, or mid to late 1800s uh, when yep. football was mostly a game played by posh boys. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, um, Fergus Souter was a bit of a pioneer at the time and that has... His ability was sort of peerless, you know, he, he, he had an understanding of the game, an understanding of tactics and passing and space and sort of on-field awareness that was kind of his own. He, no one else really ever played the game like that and when he was transferred down to Darwin, uh, there was a famous match with the Old Etonians in the quarter-final of the FA Cup and he saw firsthand how how the Old Etonians played the game and it was much more like rugby that we would we would watch today. So, um, yeah, Suter sort of put his prowess on the field and, and changed the game forever, really. I mean, we talk about tiki-tack football and Pep Guardiola and all these kind of things, but ultimately um, it was a little unknown uh, Glaswegian who, who brought that to the, to the game. <laughs> it's, it's so funny when he first appears with his mates because uh, there were two of them that came down originally, weren't there? There was, yes. Fergus Suter and Jimmy Love. Um, and I, I, as the story goes, and I think this is in, in most part historic as well, this is factual, um, Fergus was offered a transfer in secret. He was also offered a wage in secret, but the the deal that was hanging in the balance because he wanted his best mate Jimmy Love to come down with him, and there's something quite poetic in all of that. So uh, George Walsh from from Darwin at the time, who ran the mill and, and ran the team, he 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 bought both players down. Right. So so just describe. You say the Italians played played football a bit like rugby. Of course, somebody then picked up the ball and they, they invented the game of rugby. But it was almost like they protected the ball, almost like in a ruck at rugby, and they sort of somehow uh, they secreted the ball, got it close to the opposition's goal, and then one of them just kicked it to, uh, between the posts. That was a, that was sort of it, wasn't it? 
pretty much, yeah, it was about gaining the yardage and then kind of like bulldozing through the opposition. And the majority of the other teams that they would have played would have come from similar kind of backgrounds. So they would have been athletic and strong and taller and uh, far stronger. So uh, that was probably was a, a perfect match. So when they came up against um, Suter, the shorter, the slighter, the faster, the more dynamic player, I just I don't think they know what hurt them really. Um, but very much so, yeah. It was it was much more like rugby before before the passing game was invented. And uh, are you any good at footy? Were you cho- chosen for your footballing prowess? I I, I hope so. <laughs> yes, um, I, I've played the game. I'm an avid fan. I, I love the game. Um, it's 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 my my. It's my lifeline, I think, in all honesty. Um, so played played since I was young, um, and it was probably like it was a prerequisite of getting the role is that you had to be pretty decent, I think, um, to, to certainly be able to carry off Suter and Love and and Kinnaird. Um We were also very fortunate in that a lot of the lads that made up the team numbers were kind of ex semi pro players as well as actors and things like that. So the general level on set was pretty high. You know, there was um, I tell you, a good five a side team. I tell you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, hopefully, hopefully, pretty good. I. Now we know football. Um, you know, they they eat, drink, sleep. Football fans eat, drink, and sleep football uh, to the extent that somebody will go to a football match like Fulham, for example, be at the game, and then read nine pages about the yeah. game they've seen in a paper two days later, uh, even yeah. though they were there at the event at the time. Um, so so football fans are going to fall in love with this, and um, you know, I mean. In a way, it's the perfect time for this to be launched because because there is no football around, so so they're going to get the, literally get their kicks from your program. Well, we hope so. Um, we, we were thinking of maybe pitching an idea to Netflix about doing a period match of the day. Maybe we could do that every <laughs> Saturday night as well. You know, as, as each of the episodes come out, hopefully it fills that um, that small football-sized void in people's life um, for a time being. Anyway. Well, there was outrage when Mrs. Brown's boys was uh, was was put into the BBC One match of the day slot. Maybe you could go in there. We certainly hope so. That would be good. That would be, if anybody could do that, that'd be great. Well, currently on Netflix, of course, uh, with our partners at Sky, uh, streaming from Friday the 20th of March, six eps. Fantastic. Well done. Congratulations. Uh, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Uh, and before you go, who do you support? I support Glasgow Celtic. Glasgow Celtic. All right. Have you ever played, played in a pro celeb game there? One of those? I, I have, yeah. I played a couple of charity matches up there. I, I, I do some work for Celtic Foundation. So, um, yeah, I was given that great honour at one point uh, a couple of summers ago. It was it was amazing. How good did that? Who, who else was playing? Was Rod playing? He usually gets the game. Rod was there in spirit. He wasn't He wasn't on the pitch. Uh, oh, all right. <laughs> um, Mr McAvoy was playing and, and, and Martin Compton and uh, Jack Whitehall popped up and a, a lot of the ex-pros as well. Henrik Larson and Lubo Maravchik and all that. It was it was quite brilliant alright and Ke- Kevin I hope this is the first and last time you are put in a really posh hotel room to do lots of interviews on the phone <laughs> so, 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 so thank, thank you very much thanks so much for joining us ha- have a lovely rest of the week and well done on your programme the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio if you thought social distancing could stop him dishing out the tasks then think again from Monday he's hashtag home tasking and on the phone now to explain exactly what that is and how you can get involved is a man that married extremely well the taskmaster genius that is Alex Horn <laughs> uh, Rachel obviously wrote that script for Dapper Dave morning Good morning Alan. morning Alex how are you I enjoyed that of course <laughs> yes, good so did we all get any less weird yeah we were told to enjoy it um, by guess who alright Alex what's going on from Monday in your world and now ours well you know we're all trying to do something to cheer people up and uh, I got quite a lot of messages from people saying please help us we're going to be at home with the kids they like Taskmaster they want to do tasks so uh, we're doing home tasking every 
Every other day at 9 a.m., Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm going to set a task via video, and you're going to have 30 hours uh, to complete it the best. So potentially people all over the world can do it. There'll be very simple things. I can't tell you what because it will be revealed on the Monday morning, but it's, it's how you do it. It's using your imagination. It's using people in your house, or you can do it by yourself. And Greg Davis, the Taskmaster, will judge the winners. All right, so, so and we say you can submit uh, your response to the setting of the task. Absolutely, you have to, yes. You'll have a task. It will say, do this thing. You have 30 hours. Submit your entries uh, either on the Twitter uh, hashtag, using hashtag home tasking, or on the YouTube channel, which is just YouTube forward slash taskmaster. And, and what do you want those to be? So on Twitter, would it be a description of how you did it? Would it be video evidence? Uh, you know. It's video evidence for the first one, but they will vary. Sometimes it might be a photo. Uh, it will tend to be either video or photo, but everyone's got a phone now. And uh, ideally, it'll be something that's not more than a minute long, because I'm slightly worried I'm going to uh, ruin all of our lives in the Horn household. <laughs> because we did this once uh, we've done it twice before we did it the last two Christmases we did the last one for a homeless charity right and we did get inundated with people who just want to have fun really and also want to compete against other families friendships have been struck up from it and, and rivalries so um, people will hopefully get involved now for people who've never taken part in a task from Taskmaster before mm. um, can you give an example of a question that's, or a task that's been set before and the ingenuity with which it was won of course well one of the sort of classics was uh, throw a tea bag into a mug from the furthest distance <laughs> and we did that on the show and then we did it at Christmas and very quickly people realise you can wet the tea bag to make it throw further. Then you could put um, 100 mugs out to give you more chance of getting it in the mug. Then you could turn a wheelbarrow into a mug by adding a handle. Uh, or you could put the tea bag into a tennis ball and fling it from a uh, further distance. So there's lots of ways around. There's always ways around the task. And it's not necessarily who does it. Uh, from the furthest distance, it's going to be who does it the most imaginatively. OK, and the only, rules, the only rule is there's no rules. The rule is please don't hurt um, yourselves or break the law. Right. Um, <laughs> and I'm not going to set anything that involves toilet roll or pasta, because I, I have done that before, and I realise this probably isn't the time. And It's like an interview, isn't it? It's about the questions you ask. It's that was a great interview. Weren't they fantastic? We've got to ask the right questions first of all. I mean, it does help. Some, some guests are amazing and don't need any questions whatsoever, but it does help to come up with some decent questions. You seem to always come up with them tasks that, that are uh, amazing creative seeds uh, for the rest of us to, to detonate, if you like. How, have you got an endless flow of these? Do you dream them? Do, do they come to you in the bath? What, what, how, does, how does it work with you in these Both ideas? Both of them have happened. Um, I have woken up with tasks. Um, but it's, it's what I, weirdly, it's my job now. So it's what I think about all the time. I, mean, I guess in the same way as you think, well, this will be perfect to talk about on the radio, I think this will be perfect to set as a challenge. And it's something that's open-ended, something that doesn't have too many rules so that people can interpret it however they want. And something that involves very few props. So I, I can kind of see them a mile off now. I, I'll be driving along and, and see a double-decker bus and think, ah, now there's something I can do with that. <laughs> Go give us an example of what you might do with a double-decker bus. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking for this... I don't want to give too much away, but I did think for this, it can simply be make the best double-decker bus, you have 30 hours, and then people can do tiny, minute oh, things out wow. of plasticine, or they could make ones using their sofas, yeah. or they can make, you know, using their bunk beds, and it could be... I mean, ideally, if you can use a, a small child in it, you will probably win. <laughs> Okay. A cute small child. Exactly. That that's the way to. An acute, cute small child. That would be good, wouldn't it? So, but anything like that, it, you can interpret a double-decker bus however you want, and it's not necessarily the biggest. 
it's it's what we think is the best. I know a mate who has um, four vintage um, single-decker bus- buses, so if he were to put one <laughs> single-decker bus on another actual single-decker bus, he, would he be in the top three, maybe top five, with a, cu- with a cute kid driving? It, yeah, with a cute kid driving, yeah, <laughs> but if there are five puppies... That's going to be challenging him. Five puppies on the back seat. Yeah. That's so funny, um, Al. Do you ever get Taskmaster's block? Uh, I, 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 even you saying that put me in a Sorry, bad place. Don't look down, don't look down. Yeah. I've, I've got notes on my phone which are so far endless, so I, I think I'm going to be all right. Right. Now, I understand that you, uh, not unlike my wife and I, have date nights on a Friday and uh, you usually go out for dinner. But today, I, I hear I hear something else is going... You're going out in. Is that right? Well, that's what I've suggested. I said we, we lock the kids up in one room and we get dressed. <laughs> you know, we, we, we often get dressed, but we're going to wear our nice clothes and we're going to light some candles and order something in and we're going to use different rooms as like a one as a bar one as a restaurant <laughs> i want to be i want to be i want to live with you yeah i mean don't get me wrong i really like my family we change things a bit but yours is really cool <laughs> all right well done well, well done my luck. friend thank you for broadcasting oh we're loving it honestly we're loving it we feel vaguely useful the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky on virgin radio If witty lyrics, catchy melody and timeless perfect pop is your thing, then you are in luck. Paul and Jackie's new number one album, Manchester Calling, is out now. And here to tell us all about it is the jewel in the crown of British songwriting. It's the genius of the one and only Paul Heaton. Good morning, Mr Heaton. (laughs) Good morning, you okay? How are you, my friend? Yeah, very well. Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, well, yeah, fine, thank you. Now, you were due to be singing here with Jackie today. Uh, you're due to be singing four or five songs. What were we going to get from you? Oh, that's interesting. I think we were we were going to do the new single. We were... I can't remember the cover version, was it? Um, oh, yeah, you're the one that I want. Oh, oh. no, no, it wasn't. It was Kiki, no, it wasn't. Sorry, it was Elton John and Kiki D. Don't go breaking my heart. Can we, can we, can we have that back, please, one day? We were yeah. It's in the uh, it's in the locker. All right, uh, and we'll come back down and do it another day. Yeah. By the way, Paul and Jackie, congratulations on your first ever number one as a duo. Thank you. Unbelievable, and um, uh, the first album that you've actually made in Manchester. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, it was sort of Manchester Stroke Salford. I know people from Salford would get upset if I say it's <laughs> outside of there, but yeah, it's the first time I've ever made a record in the hometown I'm living in. Right? How come? Right the way back. How's that? I don't know. I've always thought I'd like to go away to record a record an album. You know, as part of being concentrated in the studio and not having anything to distract us. But um, it says he who spent most of that time in pubs in the old days. But um, yeah, I think because I've got quite a young family, it was just nice to finish at the end of the day and come home and spend my spend my time at home with them. And is it? It's funny, isn't it? Because when you do a job like ours, mine's not dissimilar to yours in many ways. You think yeah. you you think you have to have a wacky schedule because it's a pretty wacky job. But if you turn it into a nine to five, it'll lose the magic. But that's just not true, is it? No, I know. It's it's one of those things where you. Nobody ever has a clock in in the recording studio, and you just don't know. Usually, when you've started, and to be honest, never when you stop. So, you you <laughs> sort of have to have a timetable in your head. Yeah. But if you write it down too much, as you say, you ruin the magic. It says here that you'd like to. You know, one of these advantages of doing this is you could cycle to work. Did you actually cycle to the studio? Well, I was going to cycle every day, but there was roadworks. This sounds like an excuse. Roadworks <laughs> blocking my path every single day, so I took the tram instead. Um, but, yeah, Manchester's in a bit of a state at the moment, the centre. 
So, but I, I, I'm still going out on my bicycle. I tend to do so soon. All right. So the, you, you you weren't working from home, but you're working as close as damn it. Um, are you going to do yeah. one of these online gigs? Do you fancy getting involved in what's going on around the rest of the world at the moment? Um, possibly. I, I I've got a few other ideas that I want to do. I've I've got a load of stuff stocked up for a day like this. You know, days like these. Um, the other day, last uh, night before last, I put on. Loads of photos with me and other famous people that people had to identify. Um, and I've also got all the acoustic versions of all the songs I've ever written. Right. So I'm going to put those up. You know, things like Perfect Ten or even just the new album. That's a good idea. Uh, and, yeah, just keep it busy for people and just keep people's uh, chins up sort of thing. Yeah, and keep their attention in the here and now as opposed to worrying what might not ever happen anyhow. And so yeah, the, these pictures of you and famous people, uh, could you, uh, Rose Gallery, could you give us a few um, few of the visogs we're talking about? Well, the last one I put up was me and Paul McGrath in Manchester Airport, you know, the footballer. Who yeah. are Paul McGrath? Is that a who are Paul McGrath? A series of... I've still got a few to put up. I put me and Ian Brown in a hotel... I was going to say hotel room, a hotel bar uh, from the 90s. Just loads of different ones, really. And do you specify the date and maybe what was going on at the time or not? No, no, you've got to get... I don't... I can't give you any information. You have to get who it is. (laughs) And so, yeah, quite weird ones that people took a long time to get. People took a long time to get Glenn Frey from the Eagles, which I was upset about. But, you know, I've got Professor Green, Billy Ocean... Um, Mick Jones, Peter Parrott, Kevin Rowland, Bruce Foxton, all sorts. And Gianluca Vialli when he had curly, curly hair. And are most of yeah. these at gigs and football matches, or what's yeah, the most? Me what's... being a pest, you know, spotting somebody. <laughs> I saw the on the way down to London on the train the other week. I saw the bloke from Ibiza Weekender. Right. You know the uh, the big fella, the tall fella. No, I don't. I to be him. honest. Yeah, okay. no, I don't either. But I, I could recognise his voice, and I chased him up the corridor of the of the train and nabbed him. And what do you say? <laughs> What's your request? Do you have Do you have a stock request? <laughs> Excuse me, please. I'm a massive fan. Can I have a photo, please? <laughs> Which is usually partly a lie. I'm just usually want to sort of collect them for my photos. But yeah. All right, mate. Uh, listen, when you do interviews like this on the telephone, where do you do them? Uh, sat downstairs in my kitchen. OK, and what's your day What's your day look like today on this Friday? Um, well, uh, I don't know, you know. I, I, pro- I would like to go out cycling, you know, because obviously you don't come in, into contact with anybody. It's a really nice day, so probably I'll cycle up to somewhere, Holmes Chapel or something, and come back again. Good for you, mate. All right. Well, congratulations to you and Jackie. Give her our best and hopefully see Thank you soon. Thank you as well. Thank you for backing us all the way. You Thank are you. very welcome because you are more, more than deserving of it. There you go. Paul Heaton and Jackie Abbott there. Brand new up Manchester Calling is number one, my friends. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
We've heard from three guests already, but there's loads more still to come. The Sun's Simon Boyle talking about supporting the nation in uncertain times. The Times science editor Tom Whipple separates the fiction from the facts surrounding media coverage of coronavirus. And Dr Michael Mosley shares the magic of sleep science with his book Fast Asleep. All that and more, but first, Dapper Dave, who's next? The Prime Minister is a little busy at the moment, so genetically speaking, we've got the next best thing. Her new book, Rake's Progress, My Political Midlife Crisis, is out tomorrow. And here to tell us all about hairstyling tricks, politics and tennis playing antics is writer and broadcaster Rachel Johnson. Good morning, Rachel! Good morning, Chris! Good morning, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Right, uh, your book, Rachel Johnson, Rake's Progress, My Political Midlife Crisis. It's available online, of course it is, so you can get it delivered to your house. You don't actually have to physically go to a bookshop over the next few weeks. Um, and it's not a memoir, but it is a bit at the beginning, and it's, it's lovely at the beginning. It's very funny, Rachel. Oh, Chris, listen, you've made my day. It's, very, honestly, it's hilarious. All my, all my events have been cancelled, and all my speaking events, my talks, my festivals, everything. So you saying that to me means everything because I can't get the word out. And you, you know, it's absolutely fantastic that uh, you've read it even. Um, Rachel, you do start with a story, a few stories about your family, um, which I think is really important because, as you say, it's not a memoir, but it does give us uh, an inkling into, you know, uh, the cut of your jib and how that may have been, you know, where, where those grooves may have particularly come from. So for people who don't know, tell us about uh, your siblings, first of all. I mean, obviously, there's one that... Every, well, there's two that most people know about, but anyway, go on. <laughs> well, um, I'm one of four initially, and then my father had uh, another two, but yeah. much younger. So I've got a younger half-brother and half-sister, about 16, 18 years younger than me. So we grew up really tight-knit, four of us, because uh, my father travelled all over the world and my mum was, uh, you know, she was very overstretched. She was a painter and obviously having four small children, she didn't have much time to paint and I think it was very frustrating. She became ill. So we four, we just, we were like this band. We had to sort of make our own fun and we got into incredible mischief we literally wake up in the morning and think what can we do today to be naughty mm-hmm. i mean so for example one morning my older brother had this idea that we would sneak into the back door of the cottage with the hose and all these wellington boots where we lived were lined up in the hall and we snuck in we opened the door very carefully we turned on the hose and we filled every single boot <laughs> in the shoe with water it's a classic <laughs> <laughs> and then my mum was in the kitchen with my aunt, Philippa, and they came out to see what we were doing and put their feet right in the boot. <laughs> and we were so delighted, I can't tell you, by the success of that prank. That's anyway, a... then we were chased all around the garden and punished, really, right. I can tell you. So if any kids are listening, they get bored over the next few weeks. There you go. There, there's, 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 have, that, have that for starters. Uh, so your three brothers, there is Joe, uh, there is Boris, who isn't Boris, is Alexander, and there's a third... Uh, Leo, yeah. Leo, okay. Leo's really cool. I mean, Leo's cool and he's under the radar and he's he does radio programmes and he's an expert in sustainability and he's just very, very cool. He's also in a band, but that's a secret. Not anymore. Um, no, t- tell, <laughs> tell us about Boris slash Alexander, because in your book it is Bo slash Al the whole time through, isn't it? Well, the thing is, um, as a family and really old friends don't call him Boris and so there's this sort of split personality thing going on. I've never called him Boris once. So it felt really odd talking about him uh, in my book and calling him that. So I just called him Al or Slash Boris. 
And, you know, he, because I wanted to write a book about politics, uh, and I was only in Change UK, which, as you remember, that doomed centre-gram party yeah. that rose and fell almost instantly last year. Uh. That only actually lasted 34 days of my life. So, you know, that wasn't going to make a book. So I thought what I should do is sort of write, tell that story within the context of having grown up in a political family mm-hmm. um, with a brother who was always very keen, you know, and I tell the story of how he said age five, or whatever it was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, world king. And then I was, I, before that, I'd been asked what I wanted to be what, when I grew up. And I thought, well, you know, what are the options? And I looked around and all I could so I just said what other women in my life did. So I said, wife and mother. And then I realized that, you know, life was a, you know, bigger than that. And other people had different plans. That was a real... Yeah. You also tell oh. the story behind that particular story about the fact that um, when he heard you were writing this book, he, he sent you an email and said, uh, Rach, uh, Ray, do us a favour, none of that World King nonsense in the book. Um, <laughs> so not only have you put the World King in the book, you've actually told the story about him asking you not to put it in the book as well. <laughs> I know, well, you know, that's what happens. I mean, he can't... Ex- the thing is, is that that World King story is true, and I got <laughs> it on an email. <laughs> and uh, it is a sort of defining foundational myth and it does explain why I was a sort of political failure and he's made it to the top of the greasy pole. And, you know, all credit to him because having done it for only a month and a half, it takes, there is no such thing as a weekend. There is really no such thing as a free evening if you're an MP. And if you're prime minister during COVID, I mean, who would, what a job to have. I mean, I can't envy him right now. So... You know, I have nothing but admiration and respect for what he's doing and the pressures he's under and the huge responsibilities he's facing. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Simon Boyle from The Sun is with us. Morning, Si. Morning, Chris. Sorry, I'll put your microphone on (laughs) so people believe you're here. Hi, Si. Good Um, morning. So you stayed, you could have stayed with us last night, but you stayed in the hotel, which is just a few yards from where we live, the complete angler here in Marlow. Yes, which was absolutely lovely, it has to be said. Yeah, lovely spot in the world, but it was deathly quiet. My God. I had a chat with the, uh, the staff there and said, uh, gosh, it was great to get a room at such late notice. He says, you're joking. We're supposed to be packed. I think you're the only one here. So this is like, you know, when rock stars hire out the whole hotel, is that, you now know what that's like. Yeah, I smashed it up. <laughs> I've thrown the telly out the window, yeah. <laughs> you're going to throw all the tellies out the window. <laughs> yeah. so Simon, you're in charge of uh, the Bizarre Column. Uh, it used to be a single page, double page now. Mm. Uh, Nick Ferrari used to do it. He's now massive in, in the world of radio, of course. Piers Morgan did yeah. it. You took over from Dan Watton. I did. Uh, Victoria uh, Newton, who's now in charge of the paper. She's the editor. Now my boss, yeah. Um, uh, she, she, she is uh, an erstwhile um, editor of the Bizarre Column. Yeah, and we're trying to sort of keep some light relief going, thankfully, in these uh, turbulent times. Right, so so I know that newspaper sales are through the roof this week, aren't Well, they? it's been great. And it, uh, I think what this really is key is, yes, newspapers, I think, across the board, actually, are, are tens of thousands of sales up. Really what this is about is people need, desperately need, proper, serious you know, concisely produced information that they can rely on. Because the only thing at this moment in time, look, we, we haven't got a cure for coronavirus. Right. We haven't got a, an antidote or a vaccine or anything like that. The one thing that we can do that might genuinely save people is tell them the facts. Give them a bit of an idea what you can do. Look after yourself. Look after those around you. And, and away from the social media horror. I mean, 
I don't know if you uh, if you if you flicked through Twitter or uh, any of the others in in the last couple of days, but some of the nonsense is absolutely horrifying. Yeah. Uh, and the one thing that we might be able to do as a as a news business um, through our newspapers and through you know associated websites is reach people with the with the facts and the proper stuff and look some really basic stuff out there, and also. Cut through the uh, cut through the nonsense, so people aren't terrified any more than they need to be. And so you're in this hotel. You have your own hotel, and yeah. so w- wherever you go, uh, do the sun always get? They always they, they always give you your own hotel. Uh, so how many staff to one resident last night? Would you, would you estimate? <laughs> I think mi- minimum minimum of four. Yeah, it was rather quiet in the uh, in, in the re- in the restaurant, but they were very attentive. Service was excellent. Yeah, it has to be said. Right. Now, from a showbiz point of view, what's going to happen over the next f- few weeks? Because people are staying in, the world mm. is staying in. Things are happening online. Gary Lightbody is the latest Steel concert from home. So that's going on. But what else might she be writing about or not in the next few weeks? <laughs> well, it's a lovely idea. This it was, I think it was Chris Martin who got that up and running a couple of days ago. He's uh, he's mucking around at home and saying, you know, I'm, I'm here. I was supposed to be with Coldplay and I'm not. So let's have a bit of fun. And, uh, you know, the number of people who, who latched onto that and started commenting and sharing and, you know, John Legend then followed suit, uh, Keith Urban and Nicole Kidman, Bono's been at it. Um, you know, it's a really nice idea, but obviously, you know, it's not, it can't, that can't be the answer forever we have unfortunately the last couple of days there's no getting around it most of the showbiz news is about things that haven't been happening it's or very similar to the sporting to world isn't it <laughs> yeah there's no there's no getting past it but you know i think what, what, what one one thing that showbiz can do is that uh, you know these people have got a huge reach via their you know their, their their social media and so on and so forth and they can help to get information across to people and they can help to sort of break up the you know break up the real doom gloom and misery by saying look here's some things that we can do to sort of share in things share share the idea of uh, of entertainment and you know, TV is going to be a big thing for people, streaming services. And what have you heard about this morning on ITV with Phil and Holly? They're taking it basically every day, every day as it comes. Same true of like Loose Women as well. A lot of these sort of live magazine type shows that rely on sort of, you know, the day-to-day news cycle are sort of scratching their heads a touch. I mean, you may have discovered it yourself. I've had issues with people who I was supposed to meet over the course of the yeah. last couple of days and, of course, people are just not able to do that. Yeah. ITV is sort of saying, well, we're going to take it a day at a time. Uh, we're going to try and work around it and see what we can do. It's a massive problem for them. And it's the, I mean, the biggest challenge that they're going to have is some of these TV dramas. So soaps, uh, particularly, you know, Nation Street, Emmerdale, EastEnders, and things like that—they're all having to go onto like minimal productions. Yeah. EastEnders has, has, has stopped filming altogether. Casualty stopped. Hobby City it's, stopped. And it's hours and hours of the TV schedules. Yeah. This, you know, I mean, it, it's dawn till dawn till dusk stuff. You know, Doctors, Holby, Casualty, and you know all, all these others. The TV's not going to go off but they've got a lot of thinking to do and they're going to have to really scratch around in the back of the cupboard and see what they've got for us to Yeah, no, it's so interesting. But, and also, the big breaking news this morning, so the two big showbiz stories is that Glastonbury's been cancelled mm. and also Eurovision has been cancelled for the first time in 64 years, so it's not all bad. When you try your best, <laughs> Talk about silver linings. <laughs> I love the Eurovision. <laughs> say it like you mean it. <laughs> We all no, we all think we love Eurovision. I love the idea. Yes, I love the idea of it too. The idea of it's amazing, and the idea of it is still there. <laughs> That's the best bit. Thanks, Simon. Cheers. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. His new book, Fast Asleep, is out now, and with respect, we'll get you nodding off in no time. Please welcome a man here to explain that if you snooze, you don't lose. It's the one and only Dr. Michael Mosley. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Chris. So, first of all, Michael, is it just me? Uh, so many of my pals have this stinking cold, but it's not the corona. 
thing. Yeah, that's what's really worrying because uh, my younger brother, who's a doctor, uh, he's just had a cold, so he's got to go and self-isolate. He's a GP, and yet he has no idea uh, if it's corona or not. I suspect it probably isn't. He suspects he probably isn't, but until we get um, you know, a proper test, self-testing, then we're not going to know. Is it my paranoia, or is there, is, are there more people than ever before that seem to have this cold, or is it just sort of higher, more focused on our radar, do you think? I think it's higher, more focused. As soon as I start having a little cough, I start worrying. I'm going, <laughs> you know, and that sort of thing. And I can listen to my wife cough, and I suddenly get anxious about it. But you're, you're two GPs, aren't you, in the same bed, literally, so you can look after <laughs> each other, can't you? You can, you can self-diagnose, uh, you know, uh, literally yourselves and, and, uh, you know, and or each other. But, of course, the immune system, uh, one of the greatest things we can do to boost it is to get some sleep. 100%. Sleep is absolutely crucial to it. And uh, that's kind of what faster sleep is all about. It's about how you can improve your sleep. It's also about the deep, dark secrets of sleep, what goes on in sleep. And I said, I think it's probably the best book I've ever written. So I'm really pleased with it. And the timing is interesting because so many people are fretting and worrying and probably getting a bad night's sleep. And that's pretty much the worst thing you can do if you want to keep your immune system in good shape. Right now, Ariana Huffington, uh, she was uh, she she was sort of treading the same path a few years ago with Thrive. Um, uh, Dr. Matthew Walker uh, was yep. How We Sleep a couple of years ago, massive international bestseller. What does yours offer up that those perhaps didn't? Sure. I mean, Matthew Walker's book was really good, but what it told you um, over um, 200 pages or so was that if you don't get enough sleep, you're going to die. It's going to do horrible things to your brain, all of which is kind of true. It's going to wreck your immune system. What he didn't offer at all at any point is what you can do about it. So my book is different in that it does give you stuff which actually works, which is surprising and which is novel. So there is a section about the latest science of sleep, but the main thing is it really does tell you how you can crack your insomnia, how you can get a good night's sleep. That's the emphasis. Can you fast-track us any of those methods now without giving away too much? I mean, one of the reasons I got so interested in it is because I have been an insomniac for some time, and so I've been researching this for about two or three years now, slightly longer. One of the things you need to do is expose yourself to light first thing in the morning. Um, I bought a light box recently to give myself a good old blast. Um, It's a good idea to get up at the same time every morning. Um, Oddly enough, if you actually suffer from insomnia, one of the best things you can do is to restrict the amount of time you spend in bed. There's a whole section there on what's called sleep restriction therapy. It's a four-week course. Uh, but it is unbelievably effective. The worst thing you can do if you struggle to sleep is try and spend more time in bed because then you're going to spend more time fretting. So you actually cut back for a period of time. And the other uh, surprising element is um, you have to change what you eat. There's a lot of evidence now that so-called Mediterranean diet, rich in legumes and things like that, uh, improves your deep sleep. And so it also reduces anxiety and things like that. So it's called psychobiotics. It's a whole new branch of uh, uh, psychiatry and medicine. But uh, there's quite a few recipes in there and a lot of evidence, a lot of research showing that doing these things will improve your mental state, which, again, uh, boosts your immune system. All right. One of the things you can do over the next few weeks or months, you know, time and hands, let's learn to sleep better. So when we come out the other end, we can be a lot fitter uh, than we were beforehand. I mean, this, this is the great silver lining, isn't it? And we know that when it comes to sleep, it's not so much the hours. People obsess about the hours and getting eight hours, whatever. It's about the quality. It's about the depth. Um, So in this book, I talk about sleep efficiency, which is the amount of time you spend in bed asleep Mm. as opposed to uh, just lying there fretting. And when you can um, get your sleep efficiency up to about 90%, that unlocks a whole load of benefits. 
uh, because the biggest problem people have with sleep, as I said, is the anxiety they get. They go to bed, they wake up at three in the morning, uh, they lie there fretting, and that is unbelievably common. So this book is all about how you break down those negative associations in your brain. And it is unbelievable if you've been in insomnia for any period how good you feel after you uh, are beginning to um, sleep properly again. Right, now, I'm not an insomniac, but I just, I just, I'm a broken sleep person, and I've accepted it, so I don't fret. So I sleep in 90-minute cycles, I get up every 90 minutes, I go back, I have a little think, I meditate, and I go back to sleep again. So I have basically four 90-minute sleeps a night, and that's just the way it is for me. Hopefully, they'll become joined up um, over the next few years, but I've accepted that, and it, my, my, my night times are a lot better for it. Interesting, because what you're describing is polysomnia, which means multiple sleeps. And um, a historian I spoke to said that um, in the past, that's what people did. And when they study the hunter-gatherers, you know, people who live a traditional lifestyle like the Hadza in Tanzania, uh, they fit them with uh, activity monitors so they can monitor their sleep, and they do something pretty similar. They have a tendency, they go to bed, well, they lie down, you know, a couple of hours after sunset, they sit around the fire, they chat, uh, then they go to sleep, then they get up, they wander around, they go back to sleep again. And uh, that seems to be a pattern that people used to do. And then it was only really about 80 or 90 years ago we had this idea that you had to have a solid block. You had to go to bed at 11, you had to get up at 7, and you had to sleep through. And your approach is absolutely right one, just basically going, hey-ho, that's how I am. It may get better, it may not, but it doesn't really matter because I feel fine on it. Right, Michael, uh, you haven't made it to the studio today because we said don't come because you don't need to. It's not essential, therefore you shouldn't, uh, but it still looks the same and we love you just as much as we always have done and please come and see us in the future. I would love to. Goodbye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. As we navigate through these unprecedented times, the need for clarity and commanding voices is paramount. Our next guest spends his days sifting through the scientific data for his readers and he's here to explain exactly what he knows. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the science editor of The Times. It's Tom Whipple. See? How good was that? It was Always unbelievable. Who doesn't want that? It's better than anything I'm going to say in the next 10 minutes. Good morning, Tom. Morning, morning. Before we go any further, happy birthday to you. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you very much. Welcoming in the apocalypse for my birthday. Is it, all, is it always on St. Patrick's Day, your birthday? <laughs> it is, yes. <laughs> Strange that. OK, uh, how might you be celebrating today? Um, well, I'm looking at some quite stark epidemiological modelling about the deaths <laughs> of 250,000 people. Oh, but uh, other than that, I'll be, you know, putting on a hat and um, blowing one of those... Uh, paper whistly things. All right, now hopefully we're not being oversimplistic on The Breakfast Show here. We're trying to inform, uh, uh, you know, not alarm, uh, but then again, we're not at all for one second in denial. Uh, Tom, we all saw, most of us saw, or at least heard, or have, have uh, read what happened in Downing Street at this fir- the first of the regular press conferences, tea time press conferences, which now apparently are, are going to happen. But you were party to another virtual um, press conference and slash announcement last night. Yeah, it was genuinely the most astonishing professional experience I've had. Um, So after the Downing Street press conference, one of the scientific modellers who'd been advising the government headed over to another one um, and spoke about some of the science behind the change in strategy um, and essentially said that under this, we've heard a lot about flattening the curve and the idea that we can control the outbreak and keep it present in Britain, not stop it, but you know, slowly squash the sombrero, as Boris Johnson said. And he was saying that their new modelling, taking in what we know from Italy, had concluded that under that approach, there would be a quarter of a million deaths. 
and the ICU beds would be completely overwhelmed 10, 15 times over. Mm -hmm. And so they had to change their strategy. And the new strategy is to stop the epidemic. Now, if that seems like... Uh, I, I want to put in a sort of a word for scientists. That seems like one of those, well, you, these silly scientists, why did they think they control it? Why didn't they want to stop it? Well, the option now facing us is almost equally stark. There is, if you stop an epidemic, then you can't restart. You can't reopen Britain until we have a vaccine. And that's what they said to me. That's what they said to us. They said, look, if we're now trying to just prevent this disease from spreading, then we have to keep on doing that without raising these massive controls we've got for 12, 18 months until a vaccine's ready. So, you know, in the, um, you know, if this is a 10 out of 10, which of course it is, uh, has there ever been an 11, would you say? Well, the, it sounded <laughs> two, two months ago, this would have sounded utterly alarmist. Um, but the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918-1919 is now being considered as the best model for this. I think most people would certainly hope and say that that, is, uh, that was a more severe pandemic. Um, it killed far more people than the First World War, if you remember. It killed probably 50 million, maybe more. Um, but it seems like the closest model for a deadly pandemic in a semi-modern world that we have. And what's your brief as science editor for The Times over the next 24 hours, 48 hours, next few weeks? What is, what is your job? What is your mission? Um, I want to find out why and how the uh, advice changed. Um, I want to find out what was going on in those meetings um, because the government had to make some very difficult decisions, but it, se it seems unlikely that this death toll has suddenly appeared. Um, mainly our mission is to try to explain what's going on and explain about the... There are hopeful things. Um, there really are hopeful things. This has been the most astonishing scientific response in history to pretty much anything. Um, for context, it took 15 years to develop a vaccine for Ebola. We're now at the stage where there are dozens of candidate vaccines around the world that are ready to go into human testing. And with luck, and I think most people would say it's a probability, that some of those will prove to work and then within 12 to 18 months we'll have them, which is absolutely astonishing. But, of course, the corollary of that is we won't have them until 12 to 18 months from now. All right, now, we've all got our own take on things that have been said and things that have been said, maybe should have been said, uh, but th this is far better approached as an explain game rather than a blame game because nobody's trying to do the wrong thing here. No, I think, I think we slightly... I think this will be a moment when we slightly grow up as a country, or, or I hope we do. Um, there are concerned, clever people who have genuinely disagreed over over the evidence and are genuinely trying to do the best that they, they can. Um, and I have spoken to so many epidemiologists and some who've agreed with the government's policy up to now, some who've disagreed. What I haven't found is one who said, A, this is an easy decision, or has expressed real certainty about it. There's been a lot of doubt. There's so much about this virus we don't know. And I think we need to accept that this is a very difficult decision. And frankly, I am grateful every day that I'm not the one making it. Because if you've got to choose between a lot of deaths or just shutting down a country, which might itself lead to deaths, yeah. and which might, you know, lowering our GDP significantly can have all sorts of knock-on effects on how we can cope with crises like this.
Well, happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Will you be racing a glass close to someone you love or keeping a safe distance from people you don't love so much? I I think we'll be... The whole family's at home uh, enjoying a bit of social isolation. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll we'll raise a bit of a glass. All right, thank you. Tom Whipple, Science Editor from The Times UK. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.